Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Hello and welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me this week, Rena Van Alst. Hi, Rena. Hi, Amanda. How are you? Doing very well, thank you. Uh, I do want to let our listeners in on a little secret straight up that you and I have just spent about 20 minutes <laughs> resolving. 25. <laughs> <laughs> you would know technical difficulties. So I feel uh, very happy to be here. I can see you. I can hear you now. More importantly, we uh, have solved those problems. <laughs> Yeah, it's always um, great with the technology, man. When something works, it's fantastic. And when it doesn't work, it really stuffs you around and takes up so much time. And you and I have been doing this for long enough now that I think we're pretty expert these days when it comes to recording a podcast and making sure that we can hear each other and the microphones are working. So when we do have a problem, I get very frustrated. I know, me too. (laughs) (laughs) But we are here now and we are ready to roll with this week's challenges and wins. Rena, do you want to kick us off with your challenge? The challenge I had this week, Amanda, related to an AGM that was held and basically um, there was a particular owner who wants wanted to get onto the Strata Committee and he actually is not an owner, he is related to the owner so and very close relationships. So therefore um, a proxy was given for him to attend and also a nomination form was provided by the owner for him to be nominated to the Strata Committee. And unfortunately, this person um, has some mental health issues and many of the members and owners there didn't actually want to let him know whether or not they voted for him when it came to the election. So the owners asked me in the committee, can we use voting papers for this purpose? And I said, of course, we can um, use voting papers. And so basically, whatever the number was, they decided to have one less so that he wouldn't get onto the committee. So a ballot was then held after that. Mm-hmm. And he wasn't elected. So, of course, you can imagine um, how upset he was as a result of not being elected. And then he wanted to see the voting papers. Now, I said to him, well, you know, it's late now. I need to, you know, like it's been here for, you know, two hours. So, I didn't want to say too much to him. And then, obviously, a lot of the owners came up to me later and said, Rena, but we're concerned that if he sees our voting papers and knows that we didn't vote for him, they're actually concerned about retribution because apparently – there have been events in the past where people's ties have been slashed and Ooh, things have cool. happened. And even though you can't prove it was him, all of the owners were, were very, and the committee were, were quite um, adamant that it, it was him because sometimes you can relate certain events and then consequences. So mm. now he's been trying to come and make a time to see the papers. And I said, well, obviously, you're not an owner, you can't see them. And then the person who owns a lot wrote to us. And so we've been trying to like, delay the inspection, Amanda, but I was just wanted to ask you, obviously it is an owner's corporation's record, but mm. then on the other hand, what what do we do when people, you know, like perhaps may, may not have voted if they thought he could actually look at the papers. So have you ever had this situation come up before? Not exactly, no. It, just remind me, is it the owner or the proxy holder who you're concerned about may have a mental health issue, did you say? Oh, the proxy holder. Okay, so is yeah. it possible to speak to the owner and express oh, we, those concerns? Yeah, we, well, we have, but unfortunately, 
you know, sometimes you get emails from her email address that you know he's written. So it's not exactly, okay. yeah, so, so it's a very close relationship. I don't want to disclose exactly how close it is, but it's, yeah, it's unfortunate. I think that person also is in a bind, <laughs> you know, when you yeah. have someone who's mentally unwell. So, yeah, really difficult circumstance. And it always is when we're in buildings where we do have uh, difficult behavior because of mental illness. Mm. Uh, it's something that uh, a strata manager recently contacted me about uh, with the suggestion that we talk about that in a little bit more detail on the podcast, specifically mm. how to deal effectively as well as compassionately and with understanding yes. with people who suffer from mental illness. So it's definitely something on our list to get stuck into in more detail. But you have a legal obligation to respond to a request for mm. inspecting the books and records. The yep. voting papers are a record of the owner's corporation. So, pursuant to our Especially act- when there was a ballot as well that was used for that purpose. So, yeah. But I think um, maybe people wouldn't have perhaps voted a man if they knew that those were going to be accessed by him after. So, I suppose it's one of those things that's a catch-22. Was it um, conducted as a secret ballot? No, it wasn't really – like no one said, can you have mm. it as a secret ballot? And I didn't obviously suggest that because I wasn't aware that he would then want to inspect yeah. the record. So I suppose if, if, if you know, I had thought probably ahead of time and realised that that maybe you could have um, done it that way. Yeah, yeah, that's only just occurring to me now as well. Yeah, but unfortunately at the time, even though I knew he wouldn't be happy not being on the Strata Committee, a lot of people that he wanted to be on the Strata Committee did get on. So I thought, well, you know. It wasn't as if all the people that he was sort of wanting to be on the committee with didn't get on. So, yeah, yeah. I thought of that. Maybe that is a solution in the future. In the future, yeah. Because yeah. yeah. I'm just looking up the legislation now and it's uh, Clause 29 of Schedule 1 to the Act mm. refers to the method, if you like, of voting on a motion or for an election via secret ballot. And mm. you can do that if the strata committee determines that the motion is to be so determined or at least one quarter of the persons entitled to vote on the motion agree that there is to be a secret ballot. So you probably have enough support in that building to yeah. get one quarter uh, for any particular motion right. that you want to be via secret ballot. And that is in our Act in New South Wales. And if we head over to the regulation when I look at the regulation, the only reference to secret ballots is in relation to electronic voting, and that's mm-hmm. in Regulation 41, as mm. well as Regulation 15 when it comes to pre-meeting electronic voting. And that just says that if a ballot for pre-meeting electronic voting is a secret ballot, the Secretary must ensure that the identity of the voter cannot be ascertained from the form and that the vote is dealt with so that it's not capable of being used to identify the voter. But when we think about that, Rena, and I think we've discussed this on a previous episode of the podcast, in order to ascertain the result of the vote, Mm -hmm. when you're dealing with, say, special resolutions where you must know the unit entitlement of the person voting for or against the motion, you have to be able to identify Exactly. The lot number on behalf of which the person's voting, so you know the unit mm. entitlement. Exactly. So, yeah, I think we've discussed that before, how secret is a secret ballot. Mm. And it says, Amanda, in Regulation 41, that the records relating to electronic voting for motions for resolutions by an owner's corporation must be retained by an owner's corporation. So if you retain the record mm-hmm. that identifying the person, um, yeah, that can only occur for where there's no special resolution. So... 
Yeah, I don't think our regulation is really dealing sufficiently or satisfactorily enough with secret ballots. And I'd be very interested to hear from listeners, strata managers, committee members who have attempted this secret ballot process and Mm. what they've then done with the ballot papers because there doesn't seem to be an express exemption from the… Keeping the record. Yeah, and people being prevented from inspecting them. And also, too, with electronic voting, Amanda, I mean… To me, like we obviously, it's only in its, in its infancy, but I think it's there. There could be many cases in the future where if there's no record of who voted and how they voted, and you know, if if the mechanism didn't record everything, but could it be contested and things mm. like that? So it'd be interesting to see. Yep. I think if anyone has any information or experience with electronic voting where it's been challenged or there's been a problem with people trying to use the medium at the time, and some people couldn't use it and not others couldn't get on, and yep. Yeah, so I'm interested to see if anyone has any um, information or experience about that. Mm, indeed. And, Rena, just returning to your specific problem, <laughs> uh, unfortunately, I don't think I have the solution. Yeah. In order to comply with the legislation, you've got to make those papers available. And yeah. uh, maybe even if you had conducted a secret ballot, you'd have to make those papers available. It's really yeah. uh, unclear. Yeah, exactly. But, of course, if you do make those papers available and then you have a difficult resident on your hands who is taking steps to harass, threaten or intimidate Mm. those owners who may have voted against their election of that person, then all of the things we've talked about previously on the podcast, how to deal with difficult residents, how Mm. to protect yourself in that kind of a situation Mm. apply for sure. Yeah. Thanks for that, Amanda. Okay. My challenge for this week, I uh, only experienced this very recently. I think it was just last week that I uh, received the email I'm about to talk about, but I Mm. put it straight on our spreadsheet, Rena, and I put it right (laughs) up to the top for our next episode (laughs) because I was quite shocked. And the challenge is this. I had a building I was helping out in relation to a mediation application that a lot owner had filed. And I'd had a chat with the building. Uh, it was kind of a long-standing dispute. There'd been a few letters already that we sent across to the lot owner. Lot owner applied for mediation. And just in case anybody's not sure, you do have a right as a respondent to mediation to decline to attend mediation. And mm-hmm. that I find is often the case uh, with buildings that have they feel like they've tried to resolve a dispute for some time and for whatever reason they're just not getting their message heard by the lot owner who has the difficulty and sometimes it is just not worth the time, the effort, the money for the building to attend mediation and they're quite happy for the matter simply to proceed straight to the tribunal and they choose to decline mediation and there's no adverse inference drawn by the tribunal if that's the case, if an owner's corporation or a lot owner declines to attend mediation as a respondent. So I was chatting to this building at about that application, we decided that they would decline to attend mediation and I sent an email to our Fair Trading's Mediation Services Unit explaining that the building was not going to attend mediation. In the meantime, I'd also noticed that when mediation services had sent a copy of the mediation application over to my client, they'd only sent part of it. They'd only sent sort of the paragraph that explained what it was that the lot owner wanted and a few attachments that they had filed online. They'd done their filing online. That's the only way you can do it now, Amanda. You can't file any other way, so. You can only file online? Yeah, yeah, because what happened, I think, maybe a couple of months ago, we sent one in. They said, oh, you can only do it online now. So even though they had it, they said you've got to basically do it again. Okay. So 
my clients had received this version of the online application. When I looked at it, I said, that's not the whole application. I can't see who the respondents are to this application. We've got a letter from Fair Trading saying that we, the Owners Corporation, are the respondents. But the letter also said that there was a second respondent, another lot owner ah. in the building. And I said, where's that page of the application? I can't see that. And that's when I realized I only had part of the application. I asked my client, I said, have you got the rest? They said, no, this is all we got. So returning to my notification to Fair Trading when I was telling them we are declining to attend and I said, by the way, do you mind sending me the entire copy of the application because I haven't seen it and I'm I'm not exactly aware of who the respondents are. And the Mm. email I got in reply was, we do not send full copies of mediation applications to respondents for privacy reasons. (laughs) Really? I have never heard that before. I nearly fell off my chair. But how could it be? So is the privacy relating to the fact there was an extra party, Amanda, because the other respondent? I I have no idea. But this is a prerequisite to litigation. It's a process, a statutory process. It's set out in our Act that you have to Mm. go through this mediation process and to withhold the details of parties to that mediation process I don't understand it. I think the privacy issue might be the contact details perhaps of the lot owner, so mm-hmm. their email address or things like that. But I questioned it when I was told that and said, you know, what what part of the legislation? How is this new? Yeah, well, what part? Yeah. I've never heard this before. I, I used to get, as we said, it yeah, used to be hard copy. copy and now it's online, so is this something new with the online? And the email that I received in return was to confirm that Nothing has changed in policy or procedure or the law. In the past, there was always the paper application form and Fair Trading says that they didn't ever send the respondent a full copy of the form. They always excluded page two because of privacy and they only ever sent page three and four. Now, that could be right. Maybe I've just never picked it up. But I suppose I'm just – now that you're jigging my memory, I mean – I'm just trying to think. I know that most of the time we are the applicants, so it's really hard for us True. to ascertain. Um, now, I'm just trying to think when an owner's corporation has been a respondent. Um, if they have always withheld a page, I have. I simply haven't noticed. What's happening now, because as you say, the applications are being filed online, it's quite obvious that as a respondent, when you receive this stuff, you're only getting a paragraph because you're only getting what's called part five, which is the issue description. So that's the only bit you're getting and then you're getting attached documents and you're being told in a covering letter who the applicant is and who the respondents are. That's it. That's the only information you're getting and you're getting told to turn up at 10 a.m. at Parramatta on a certain date. And I'm really uncomfortable with that. As a lawyer, I, I feel very uncomfortable about any part of a document like this, uh, the initiation Mm. of a statutory procedure being withheld from a respondent. And Mm. I would like to dig deeper into this question of how the privacy legislation apparently prevents fair trading from providing this information. Now, to that end, uh, some exciting news. I have invited representatives of Fair Trading to come onto the podcast and teach us a little bit more about the mediation process. And this question is certainly on my list, as well as um, many others that I know our listeners uh, 
often ask about mediation, how it works, why we have it, what the uh, potential outcomes are, what the role of the mediator is. And this whole um, question around the, what we're entitled to see and not see did spark that conversation about sharing some more information with listeners from Fair Trading Mediation Services Unit via the podcast. So very excited that that is coming up. Uh, I'm not going to name names yet because we're still in discussions about who's going to be involved in that chat, but I am looking forward to bringing it to you. That's wonderful news, Amanda. I think it would be good for both owners and managers to hear from someone from Fair Trading, especially if they haven't actually experienced mediation before. Mm, Yes. So stay tuned for that one. All right, let's change gears and jump into your win for this week, Rena. Well, the win for this week um, occurred in relation to a meeting that was held recently and the chairperson being able to rule motions out of order. Now, I think people may say, well, you know, how is that a, a win? But sometimes there are motions that basically are unlawful or conflict with the Act or have already been considered before. So in this particular scheme, there were two motions that were submitted by an owner that were identical to two motions that had been previously resolved, except for the fact that there were some details about the installation of the subject common property. I won't sort of name it, otherwise it'll be apparent to those who are listening which scheme I'm talking about. But these motions had already been passed before. And when they had been passed, there was a lot of detail attached to what common property changes were going to be undertaken. So you have the like a concept plan, etc. were attached. In this particular case, what happened was that the motions were submitted without any reference to any concept design summary or anything that would allow a person voting to understand exactly what they were voting for. So just for those people that perhaps don't know much about the role of the chairperson, I think this is something that sort of does occur in in many schemes where people have a understanding of a chairperson's role being more than really what it is. The Australia Schemes Management Act, um, the chairperson's function is listed under Section 42. So basically it's to preside at meetings of either strata committee or or general meetings, and it's to make determinations as to quorums and procedural matters at meetings of the Owners Corporation and the strata committee. So pretty much that is what the chairperson's role is in a nutshell. The one that I think is really important, and I think perhaps people haven't really thought about, is that a chairperson may rule certain motions out of order. So this is Schedule 1, Part 3, General Meetings, Section 19. So the chairperson at a meeting may rule a motion out of order if... The chairperson considers the motion, if carried, would conflict with this Act or the bylaws of the Strata Scheme or would otherwise be unlawful or unenforceable or any requirement of this Act to include the form of motion the notice of meeting has not been complied with. So I suppose in that case that would refer if someone didn't have an explanatory note that was required. So in this case, um, the chairperson ruled the motions out of order and to me that was a win, I think, because it just shows people that you can't put motions on if you don't have all the corresponding supporting information that people can't make um, fully informed decisions. And also, if something's already been agreed to be done, then, you know, you can't keep rehashing the same thing over and over when actions have been taken to effect those resolutions, Amanda. So, have you had experience of that happening? Um, 
Yeah, absolutely. It is an incredibly powerful part of the legislation mm. and it is very important, I agree, for our chair people, chairs, I think is the official term, to know exists and to use that. And I can think of at least three meetings in the last 12 months that I've attended where I have pointed to that section and urged the chair to rule a motion out of order for various reasons, because there wasn't supporting documents attached or the motion didn't contain the explanatory note or to resolve the motion would have been to effect an illegality because mm. it wasn't possible under the law to do what it was that the motion was proposing. So chairs are always very reluctant to take that step. Uh, and in some cases, the chair has been my client. In other cases, the chair has not been my client. Uh, and it's been a bit of a, a hostile suggestion, if you like, or received as a hostile suggestion to rule a motion out of order. So chairs can become very uncomfortable about taking that very serious step. So it's important to know before the meeting, I think, with having communicated with your strata manager or strata managers talking to their committees, if the strata manager is going to chair the meeting, how it is you're going to handle a particular motion and if you're going to rule it out of order, be very clear about why and being able to communicate that to the meeting. Mm, yeah, I think it's important to let people know why, although I've received advice from another um, lawyer who said that you don't really have to even give the reasons, but I think it's always the best thing. I think it's a good idea to give the reasons because I think people need to understand, you know, what is wrong with the motion and why it couldn't be considered. Yeah, I agree with that. Now, there is some more information uh, on how to chair a strata meeting back in episode number 89. I think that was a solo episode from me and I am pretty sure that I cover off in a little bit of detail that process of ruling motions out of order and certain pointing out that that right exists. So if you're a chair or trying to become a better chair or you're a strata manager, that's a good episode to go back and have a listen to. And uh, Rena, I will say, I think we can share with our listeners, you and I have been asked to do some more in-depth uh, education, if you like, specifically mm. around chairing meetings and for those who are wanting to be better chairs and not yet releasing any information about what's happening there, but we can tell you to stay tuned and we will have something special, a uh, special opportunity, let's say, for our listeners coming up uh, first half of this year. Mm, yeah, looking forward to that, Amanda. I think um, a lot of people do get very nervous when they have to chair meetings and they don't really understand, like they just sometimes read the motion, but they don't sort of then say, well, all those for and all those against because in a sense... You know, so I think it's a really important tool, I think, for people to sort of learn and understand and um, become more confident, I think, too, when they're chairing meetings. Yep, yeah, really important. Okay, so my win for this week, I want to share with our listeners who may not yet have come across it that Your Strata Property is on Facebook and you may have received, if you are on our email list, an email a couple of weeks ago letting you know about the Facebook page and what kinds of things are happening over there. Probably the most valuable part of the Facebook page, I think, for those who visit it are the short videos that I've been recording over there live. They are live videos, so you're getting me raw and unedited, but they're just short snippets, much, much shorter than the podcast. 
giving you some everyday tips. It's usually something that I've been working on with a client and then I've jumped on Facebook and just shared that experience. I've talked about smoke-free apartment buildings, the rules around committee meeting notices and minutes. Who do we send those to, whether you're a large or a small scheme? Secure parcel delivery, some tips for self-representing in the tribunal, how to deal with noisy neighbours and lots more. So I'm over there regularly. The thing about Facebook is that it will pop up and tell you if I'm there and recording a video and feel free to jump on and uh, make a comment or ask a question. And uh, yeah, I'm really enjoying it, Rena. I actually have on my list to uh, get you involved in these Facebook oh, lives very you. soon. <laughs> yeah, well, as you know, I'm not on Facebook, but I'll be interested to see how it all works. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, there's lots of fun things that you can do with Facebook in I've been doing um, polls, uh, you know, the surveys and as well as the live videos and just playing around a little bit and seeing what it is that works best for our listeners, how you like to learn, how you like to receive this information. So if you're enjoying it, let me know. If you haven't yet checked it out and you've got a Facebook account, you head over to Facebook and type in your strata property in the search field and you'll find our page there and uh, tick that like button and then whenever you're on Facebook and things are happening on the Your Strata Property page, you'll get a notification. So having started this episode saying that we're now becoming podcast tech experts, I'm very <laughs> fast trying to become a Facebook tech <laughs> expert, which is a whole other world. I could imagine. And when it's going well, Amanda, I'm sure it's wonderful. <laughs> when it doesn't work, then it's very frustrating. <laughs> yes, yeah. I haven't yet had any Facebook disasters, but we'll see. Everybody, stay tuned for the Facebook disaster. <laughs> The live video that that my little boy walks in on and I can't delete something like that. <laughs> it's going to happen. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that is it for this week. Thank you, Rena. Anything to add? No. All good, Amanda. Straight back into the fray. Yep. I'll catch you next time. Okay, bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today?